the farmers and civil society organizations, we were not consulted when the summit was being organized and is not inclusive, but only focusing on the big agribusiness players. So I think that is why, that is why the boycott has been so intensive. It's no grounded in people's rights, but in corporate rights. And it doesn't uh, look actually for system change, but for maintaining the system uh, in a way that extends the control of the corporate power. Welcome back to the Oakland Institute podcast. With close to 800 million people suffering from hunger and an escalating climate crisis, the need for global action is urgent. While there is consensus surrounding the need to address hunger, the underlying drivers and proposed solutions have ignited debates. In September 2021, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres will convene a food system summit as part of the decade of action to achieve the sustainable development goals by 2030. According to the UN, the summit will awaken the world to the fact that we all must work together to transform the way the world produces, consumes, and thinks about food. The UN further states that this is a summit for everyone everywhere, a people summit, a solution summit that will require everyone to take action to transform the world's food systems. However, Hundreds of organizations from around the world have raised concerns about the summit. It all began with the appointment of Dr. Kalibata, president of AGRA, the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa, to lead, prepare, and design the summit. Founded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation, AGRA has worked since its inception in 2006 to open up Africa seen as an untapped market for corporations controlling commercial seeds, genetically modified crops, fossil-fueled-based fertilizers, and polluting pesticides. Willfully ignoring the past failures of the Green Revolution and industrial agriculture, Agra orients farmers into global value chains for the export of cash crop commodities. Its finance, intensive, and high-input agricultural model is dependent on constant subsidy, which is drawn from increasingly scarce public resources. Agra's model of fossil fuel-based industrial agriculture is laying waste to the environment and contributing to climate change. As industrial monoculture plantations spread, family farmers, pastoralists, and indigenous communities who are the stewards of the land and guardians of agricultural biodiversity, are marginalized and forced off their land. These are just some of the serious reasons to be concerned by AGRA leading the UN Summit. In this series, we will be speaking to leading farmers and activists from around the globe to dive deeper into resistance to the upcoming Food System Summit and map out alternative courses of action to address the systemic issues driving hunger in the world today. In the week 
of the UN Food System Summit is finally here. I'm your host, Andy Currier, for the second part of our two-part series, Exploring Resistance to the UN Food System Summit. Very excited and honored with our guests today, so let's jump right in. I'm Alejandro Argumedo, speaking from Cusco, Peru, up in the Andes. I'm Program Director and Andes Amazon Lead at Sweet Foundation. My name is Elizabeth Mpofu, a small-scale farmer based in Masringo in Zimbabwe, in the central part of Masringo, and I'm also chairing the Shashe Agroecology School, and as we speak, I'm the International General Coordinator of La Via Cambacina, and also founding member of the African Women Collaborative for Healthy Food Systems. And I'm basically staying in my rural area, doing my farming practices, practicing agroecology, producing a diversity of crops to feed my family, and also the surplus who also see how best I can share with the other communities, because it's not all of us who are able to produce enough to feed their family due to different challenges we face as farmers. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we can get right to the questions now. So while there is broad consensus on the urgent need to address hunger in the world today, disagreements abound over the underlying causes. As you just said, we also know it's often the farmers who face hunger. What do you think are the major issues facing farmers across the global south today? Well, I think the first big issue for farmers is land. Who owns the land? But also who is still in the ground? Who is grabbing the land? And this is key in our region that is very biolog biological, cultural and biological diverse, and where people have very strong ties to, to the land beyond a productive, uh, being a productive uh, or a means of production. It is an entity. It's a living thing that uh, we, uh, <clears throat> you know, consider sacred. Um, most of our uh, <clears throat> understanding uh, of food systems cannot be um, realized without thinking about the land. So it's a, it's a fundamental issue. I would say, secondly, it's uh, seeds. Um, while uh, most of the uh, farming of small scale, small scale farms, uh, farming is done with uh, farmer seeds. There is an increased dependence on commercial seed systems, and you know how the patenting of seeds, the patenting of life, remains a big issue. This is something that, in the region where <clears throat> I'm, I'm coming from. Um, it, has is becoming more and more uh, of a uh, of a limiting factor for doing agriculture. Okay. So we need to uh, see this in the context of the relationship of seeds as a uh, as a key 
uh, elements of food and its connection to the land. Um, while we uh, in the region have, for instance, a, a large diversity of seeds um, and the cropping systems are also uh, diverse um, and adapted to the different ecological um, conditions that we have, which are very diverse. Um, the modern um, commercial seed systems do not consider those nuances and only see profit as uh, the main um, objective uh, of uh, its, um, uh, <clears throat> its goals. Um, thirdly, I think as uh, corporate personhood uh, continues to be issue, um, corporations are deciding uh, and the, um, a policy deciding according to economic metrics, um, agriculture subsidies uh, in the north, and that also affects, uh, uh, you know, how food systems um, operate in in the south. Thank you, Andy, for your question. Some of the major issues facing farmers across the global south include the issue of attaining food system resi resilience and equality in the context of global environmental change. It is difficult due to harsh climatic conditions because we know very well that the weather is changing. It has some patterns such as drought, sometimes low rainfall patterns, and cyclones, including earthquakes, which destroy our land, water systems, and destroying our crops. For instance, I can give you an example of what has happened in Zimbabwe, Mozambique, and Malawi, where we had droughts over the years. And in 2019 to 2020, we had, we experienced the cyclone Idai that destroyed our soils, our homes, roads, the water systems, crops, and killed thousands of people. These are some of the challenges. And also, we also lack support to our own initiatives, especially on local seed systems and the biodiversity across the East and Southern Africa region. We are experiencing the seed laws, such as if you have heard about Aripo Convention, the Arusha Protocol, the Harmonized Comesa and Sadiq seed laws, which are criminalizing the farmers, the small-scale farmers, for their own initiatives in the production of local seeds. Even though we want to multiply, this is prohibited because these laws are not really supporting the farmers' initiatives. Farmers also, we are not allowed to sell our own seeds to other farmers or even exchange in public. And there's also limited participation of farmers in the farmer-led research and development 
which include marginalization of the farmers in agricultural policy making. And the other challenge is that the loss of land and water, which is in the hands of the big multinational companies and is also displacing the farmers from their source of livelihoods. There's also, um, with, the, with the COVID pandemic, um, we have seen how the system um, has failed. You know, the global value chains have, uh, have shown uh, its vulnerabilities, uh, while local food systems have become have shown how strong and important are. Um, for instance, in Peru, uh, small, scale, uh, small scale farmers, indigenous peoples, um, despite the limitations of the pandemic and the lockdowns, um, they have ensured that the food uh, 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 continues to reach the you know, the table of uh, most of the, uh, of the population. So um, the control of seeds locally and the control of how to, how to plant, how to, what to plant and uh, how to use the land um, becomes very important. And so uh, as um, food sovereignty um, becomes important, uh, as a response to the dependency on the corporate uh, corporate industrial uh, system. And together you've overviewed some very serious challenges facing farmers in the global south today, not only from climate change, but also from the erosion of traditional food systems that have been so crucial for resiliency. I want to turn now to some of the solutions being proposed. Uh, you have many corporations and some large foundations, such as the Gates Foundation, emphasize the role technology must play in modernizing agriculture. What are your thoughts on relying on technological advances as a solution? Yeah, telling the truth, the issue of modernizing agriculture with the support of such these foundations as AGRA has totally failed over the years. And why I say that they failed is because the green revolution or industrial forms of agriculture have already destroyed our soils, the water systems and the environment, which we depend on due to intensive usage of agrochemicals. It was launched in 13 African countries and it has failed in many countries such as Tanzania, Rwanda, Nigeria, Ghana, and many other African countries. And also we have some studies which show that it has totally failed. Such studies which were made by the Alliance for Food Sovereignty in Africa, AFSA, and other civil societies, organizations titled The False Promises, The Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa, Failing Africa's Farmers, and also Starving the Continent, which was produced by 
Timoth Wise in September 2020. These are just a few to mention. And also the prevention of soil deterioration and maintaining soil fertility should be a worldwide priority, Auntie, but it is not happening. Agrae failed to increase yields by promoting subsidized monocrops such as maize. Farmers' incomes are still low and people are still facing huge poverty and malnutrition. So you will find out this is why we say we are saying it's totally a failure. And according to the United Nations, one third of the world's land is now highly degraded. And we lose billion tons of fetal soil every year. Whereby we know very well that more than 1.3 billion people rely on food produced on degraded agricultural land. And also it shows how capitalist agriculture is incompatible with our own food systems. We know how they are controlling on food and agricultural. Corporate industrial agriculture, the trade agreements such as seed laws, pesticides industry, and also impact on small food producers, land and resource rights, environment, health and nutrition, self food, and many others. So we know the hazardous technologies, the GMO crops, understanding their dangers and impact on health, environment, food, and agricultural systems. Condemnation of our own traditional and local varieties, and also the impact on traditional knowledge systems. So this is what I can just say regarding the question of this, to answer your question, Angie, about the modernizing agriculture, which they are really preaching on daily basis. You know, despite the failures of Agra, um, you still see, and the, the industrial approach generally, you still see that being given the most amount of money and being given power over um, these international summits, which, which brings us to the, the stakes of the upcoming UN Food Systems Summit. Now the UN claims that this will be a summit for everyone everywhere, uh, a people's summit. However, so far the Food Systems Summit has been met with widespread backlash and boycotts from farmers, civil society, and peasant farmers. So why is this the case? I think um, there's at least four problems that I see with a food system summit, um, and which has created this reaction from uh, farmers, civil society organizations, and uh, many uh, academics and scientists. One and the first, uh, the most um, important for me is that uh, it's no grounded in people's rights, but in corporate rights. Mm. And it doesn't uh, look actually for system change, 
but for maintaining the system uh, in a way that extends the control of the corporate power. Um, the recent drafts uh, that are coming out from the uh, Secretariat of the Food System, the right to food, um, which is one of the action tracks, um, continues to be um, you know, treated or referenced uh, marginally. If you see uh, the rights of indigenous peoples, particularly, uh, while there is mention to it, it's really in the sense of uh, being stakeholders and no rights holders. Similarly, happens with rights of peasants, pastoralists, um, very little mention of landlists um, uh, and, and women, um, etc. Um, the urban the uh, urban population that's right now with a COVID um, pandemic uh, food insecure, you know, uh, are clearly not um, uh, mentioned in a way that it, it should be. Um, I think the this issue of um, conflating human rights or indigenous people rights with uh, stakeholders, um, which try to put everybody in the same uh, level, uh, with regardless or without considering the the different nature of the rights and the, the different role that they have, it's a it's a big problem. Secondly, I think. Um, um, as we will know, uh, we all know well, um, you know, um, it, this is driven by corporations and the association with the Gates, um, you know, foundation, the Green Revolution in Africa. Um, we know uh, who is leading the food system um, and the relationship of Agnes Kalibata with, uh, with the Gates. Uh, interest, um, the, the role of the World Economic Forum, um, it's also very, uh, you know, uh, notorious. So the participation of large corporations and the corporate initiatives, um, I think, um, you know, tell uh, the whole history. And uh, in my view, this only uh, is looking at how to capture the UN spaces and replace um, public institutions with this new type of, uh, you know, stakeholder platforms. Mm. And thirdly, I, I think that, um, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, um, we have here, um, uh, a, a, a situation where the narrative um, of the uh, of of uh, system change of system, uh, food system change has been kind of co-opted by um, corporations and <clears throat> by using uh, from foundations like a GAF, um, and that's one reason why Circumvention, um, you know, um, decided to 
to quit or exit uh, the global answer for the, for the future of food is that um, uh, they are using this different types of, uh, of stakeholder platform to neutralize um, the, the rule and the voices that are coming from, from the South, from indigenous peoples and, and local communities. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I really, I'm really happy to respond to this question clearly. Why, why the summit has met with the backlash and the boycotts from farmers, civil society organizations and peasant farmers. The reasons behind are it's strong links with the big multinational corporations and agribusinesses that focus of industrial forms of agriculture at the expense of farmers on farming initiatives. Because we know very well that we have our initiatives such as agroecology and fighting for food sovereignty. The summit itself is also focusing on agribusiness instead on the ecology and our environment. The other reason I might say is that we are aware in some certain points, the United Nations Federal Rapporteur on the right to food, Michael Fakri, wrote to Kalibata saying the global food crisis was chronic, urgent, and set to intensify, but the summit appeared focused on science and technology, money and markets, and did not address fundamental questions of inequality, accountability, and governance. The United Nations Food System Summit sponsors are focused on market standards or commercial food systems at the expense of local consumption and also indigenous food patterns that our rural farmers are focusing on. The other reason why the boycott is very, very intensive is the appointment of the former Agra president, Agnes Kalibata, who is to lead the event and is not welcomed by the civil societies and farmers. This is because of the failures by Agra to transform African agricultural systems. Because Agra, we know they have their emphasis on industrial forms of agriculture and technologies that do not meet our needs as local farmers. We know very well we had limited access to information about the summit. The farmers and civil society organizations, we were not consulted when the summit was being organized and is not inclusive, but only focusing on the big agribusiness players. So 
I think that is why that is why the boycott has been so intensive across the globe. So, as as you've just described, the summit is is designed in a way that it will not be able to promote solutions that people and farmers need. So, so how can we ensure that true solutions? Um, you've mentioned agroecology gain the necessary support in order to to feed the planet and help ensure food sovereignty for everyone? I think there is um, hundreds of alternatives and, you know, very rich um, um, solutions that are um, coming from below, from people's um, visions and which are not only focused on uh, the food crisis that we are facing, but the multiple crises, the health crisis, the economical crisis, the political crisis. So um, I can tell you, for instance, how um, barter markets in this region have become more stronger, where communities that live in in higher elevations or in the, in the mountain range, um, exchange uh, different types of uh, food crops with communities that live in the middle range and other communities that live in the lower elevations. And if you look more closely at this type of exchanges, you will see that the cropping system in the upper side is mostly root crops, which are carbohydrates. In the middle uh, ground, you will see uh, grains and uh, other types of, uh, um, you know, maize, uh, pasiolis, um, and other types of crops that have a high protein content. And in the lower part, in, in the more warmer sites, you will have fruits and uh, ritualistic crops and uh, medicinal plants, and all those are exchanged between these communities uh, in a way that they all have access to a large portfolio of resources. And uh, this system, you know, do not need money. Then it's no dependent in how, you know, this, uh, value chains uh, that are dominated for, by corporations and the market, uh, the cash market um, uh, operates, but it's, it's embedded in the culture. It's embedded in the spirit, a spiritual relation that people have with the land, with the crops, um, with the whole environment. And they see these type of systems as not just things of the past, but how we can create alternative economies where you can combine you know, monetary and non-monetary systems in a way that um, you know, it benefits not just people, but also the land and all relations. So um, this is not like a, a, a just a, a, an isolated case. There's many other cases um, around um, the region where communities have tight control of their food system and um, became not just um, 
independent, but uh, sovereign in the decisions as this uh, is, the, you know, an exercise of their customary rights um, that they have for a long time. Right. Also, for instance, communities just right here um, around the Potato Park, um, just um, last week I attended a meeting with them um, uh, in relation to the food uh, summit where they um, um, came up with a declaration. They have been um, producing or multiplying uh, seeds that have high content on iron uh, and different types of antioxidants uh, because they know that this type of varieties of potatoes and other Andean crops um, fortify, uh, you know, uh, um, or make a, a stronger um, a, the, um, the people's resistance to different types of, uh, you know, health problems for a long time. Mm. And they have produced around like uh, 12 tons of seeds and distributed to different to other communities so other communities can also have those types of varieties of, uh, of uh, food crops uh, and multiply and keep distributing, uh, you know, as a reciprocity to other communities. So um, while this is happening in the ground, you know, with the food system is still discussing uh, why up in the, in the clouds, you know, issues that um, uh, will further consolidate the corporate power uh, in the United Nations. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, preferential access, um, etc., which undermines the mandate of the UN itself, while communities uh, in different parts of the world are responding with very innovative um, you know, uh, um, responses to this crisis. But so I think um, uh, also these type of examples uh, tell of how democratizing, uh, uh, you know, the um, science um, and local knowledge um, uh, or uh, food producing processes um, by the use of, uh, you know, traditions, uh, uh, customary institutions, um, local ways of doing things uh, is, uh, is, is giving a strong response to, to the food summit. So solutions to gain the necessary support include resisting the summit in totality and even resisting its recommendations. We really need to mobilize the rural farmers, indigenous farmers, peasant and women-led agroecology feminist movements, as well as other civil society organizations to continue engaging and promoting agroecology and food sovereignty movements. These platforms might include rallies, you know how we do it, some might do some demonstrations, some assemblies, 
matches and many others and also the other solution is to engage our national governments at local level to ensure that they support our own initiatives which that big events are always hijacked by the big agribusiness players and one of the solution is also the need on participation in our own national policy making processes and hanging over to our petitions and position papers and also ensuring the collaboration and solidarity among the farmers and other groups to be heard because there's a big voice when we are in numbers and ensuring that youth also participate in the agroecology and food sovereignty movements through the use of social media platforms. Community discussions, public forums, workshops, community meetings, training are very, very important to solve some of these issues and also mass distribution of information materials, putting up banners, posters, and also the social media campaign, which we see very well that at some certain point, it brings some change and some results. Thank you, Andy. Thank you both Elizabeth and Alejandro for joining us today. Now to conclude, uh, since we started recording this series, the actual format of the summit has taken shape and it will be a one day event on September 23rd held virtually. Joining me now, we have Anurada Mittal, Oakland Institute Executive Director, to take a step back and look at the legacy of this event. Anurada, thank you for joining me today. Uh, we are now on the eve of the UN Food Systems Summit. From when it was first announced to its final format, what do you make of the final form that the summit has taken? Well, the summit had no credibility from the very start. And now we find that it has been greatly reduced in both length, scope, and impact. And that is the direct result of the sustained resistance from farmers, civil society, social movements, and activists around the world. Yet the summit was hijacked by corporate interests to once again promote industrial agriculture, to pillage the earth, to pillage the livelihoods of the smallholder farmers. And it is very exciting that the civil society has won in defeating this effort. The legacy of this event is that it has brought together a wide range of organizations, civil society groups, social movements to mobilize and take a stand together. The summit has been made moot and has been muted and we have the mass organization and action of farmers across the globe to thank for this. And now, while the extent of the continued green and poor washing done at global summits, such as the UN Food Systems Summit, is frustrating. It, it is uplifting, as you mentioned, to see how quickly it was exposed in this case. Moving forward, what role do you see for global summits to spur, to spur a transformative change? Well, if a summit can actually empower the interests and elevate the voices of farmers, the indigenous and pastoralists over corporate actors, we might be able to see some real strong policy shifts take place. 
However, we don't have the time to sit around and wait for that to happen and for the powers to be in Washington DC or Brussels or Rome to act. Fortunately, as we have heard in these interviews, the solutions on the ground are already here. Continuing mass mobilization around a bottom-up approach is the way forward. Thank you, Anurada, for that insight and helping to look at the legacy of this event. Also, thank you to all the listeners who tuned in to this two-part series. Uh, for those interested in learning more, there's a webpage on the Oakland Institute site that has more information on the UN Food Systems Summit. A link to this page is available in the episode description. Until next time.